This morning we have the blessing of hearing God's word preached by Jeff Blevins. God was very kind when he brought Jeff and Sherry and their family to the landing. We're so thankful for them. Uh, Jeff leads the biblical counseling team here and faithfully serves in many ways. But more importantly, he loves God and he loves God's word. And this morning he'll be preaching from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Follow along in your Bible or on the screens. Hear from God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved." In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is God's word. At this time, children ages three through kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. Nice to be able to to say that. Pastor's away and asked me to to fill in. It's it's been been a long time since I preached, so bear with me. I'm a little shaky this morning. uh, I knew a lot of people were going to be gone, so that kind of helps. But there's still quite a few of you here this morning. uh, Thank you for coming. Another blessing was you all got an extra hour of sleep last night, so hopefully you're feeling rested and refreshed. But but maybe the downside of that here in a few minutes, you're going to feel like it's lunchtime. And so that might be bothering you. So. All right, so we're in Ephesians. I'm not going to preach through that, that whole uh, series um, or all those verses that Pastor uh, Andrew uh, read. This is actually, I preached a few years ago. It's actually a four sermons, and I'm kind of combining down into, into one, so I'm cutting a lot out, and, and I'm only going to be focusing primarily on verses 3 through 7. But, uh, uh, Ephesus was, uh, just to give you a little background of, of what Ephesus is, uh, the place where Paul is writing here. Uh, it's a harbor city in, in Asia Minor, Turkey. The population at this time was probably 500,000 in that area. 
Uh, it was very prosperous, especially under the Roman rule. Um, it was a major stop uh, on the trade routes, so there's lots of economic activity going on, very wealthy. That time is uh, very prosperous yeah, city during this time as well. Um, maybe you've heard of some of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana. So that was there in Ephesus, and that was flourishing at this time. There was all kinds of worship and things going on, idol-making and things surrounded surrounding that. Um, if you read in Acts 19, the riot that Paul kind of got started there was had to do with uh, the artisans who made all the idols realized they were losing a lot of business if Paul keeps preaching and people keep getting saved and, and, and moving along that way. So uh, Paul spent, I think, the longest time he spent in any at any church in any one place in Ephesus there. It was about two years, nine months. And Timothy was a pastor there. So that's just kind of the background of, of who Paul is talking to here. And so let's pray. Father in heaven, we again are just thankful for this day. Thank you for your word and, and what it tells us. Thank you for being a great God and and wanting to share so much that you have with us and just open our eyes and hearts to all of your wonderful blessings and treasures that you have for us and may we just get in step with where you're leading and guiding and, and where we need to be in our, in our faith and our thinking and our actions, Lord, and we just ask your blessing on this time. Now we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, nowadays, you know, we hear a lot about identity. Who am I? Um, and maybe the question is asked, how do you identify yourself? And there's all kinds of weird things, crazy things that people are coming up with now. But some people may define themselves by their job and what they do for a living. That's kind of what they're identity is wrapped in um, uh, like law enforcement for that's a very you know close-knit group uh, it's often thought of as a very noble profession uh, among people and a lot of times yeah the men kind of get their identity from that and the respect that that brings from uh, the community and things uh, so they some people define themselves by their wealth um, or their, uh, the status that they may have in the community, their positions of authority. Um, some people define themselves as their nationality or, or where they come from um, or the family you're involved in. Um, there's a kind of a slogan from an ancestry commercial is that you don't know who you are until you know where you came from. Uh, that's a good advertisement slogan, just get people in, but that's obviously, that's not true. But, uh, and we'll see here in a minute why. And, uh, but, and then there's, you know, 
in school now, and my daughter's in college, and you know, they usually start off every class with pronouns and how you want to be identified now. And one professor that she has said, there isn't a pronoun for what I am right now. It was just, and that word hasn't been invented yet. So there's just a lot of weird stuff, crazy stuff going on out there. And it seems like the further we go, the, the weirder and stranger things are getting. But, but Paul st starts laying out here some things that we can identify. Our identities in Christ and uh, I appreciate the songs. The songs just well took the words out of my mouth this morning. But uh, but uh, so there's I'm going to go through six of them here. Six ways that we are in Christ uh, can find our identity in Christ. And so the phrase in Christ is used 27 times in the book of Ephesians itself. So. Uh, it is permanent. All these are permanent. Some of the things I mentioned earlier, they're not permanent. Your job's not permanent. So you identify yourself in your job. What happens when you retire? You lose that identity. You go back to work or whatever, just to visit. Somebody else is in your place, at your desk, in your position. Uh, you've been replaced. And, and that really throws some people. They just kind of feel lost after that. You identify by your status or your wealth. Uh, as long as you have it, the prodigal son found out. As long as he had that, he had friends. If he lost it, then all his friends were gone. Um, uh, nationality, identify yourself that. Well, some people don't know where they came from. Some people have been adopted uh, at young ages, don't know their background. It's, uh, um, you wrap yourself in some of these earthly things. Um, you may not always know, um, so, but we can know for sure. We identify in Christ that's, that's permanent, it's not going to change. Um, we can just lock in on that and, and find our, our satisfaction, our contentment, our peace, all these things that God wants to have for us in, in Christ. So, What does it mean to be in Christ? Well, Schaefer defines it as to partake of all that Christ has done, all that Christ is, and all that he ever will be. So it's all that Christ has done, all that he is, and all that he ever will be. He's wrapping that and sharing that uh, in us. That's what, all that we have access to by being in Christ. So Paul here He's addressing the saints, so these are all believers who are in Ephesus. Here, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here in verse 3 we find our first one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ. There's that phrase. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the first way that we are in Christ is we are all blessed. So he starts with the first blessed there is... Um, has the idea of eulogizing. So this word is only used of God. That's uh, the only place that uh, uh, in this, yeah, in, in Greek, that, that word for bless is only used from God. So it's a little different than uh, the other ways that we talk about being blessed and blessing others. And so this one's all only used of God. But he has blessed us. He has made us to benefit. He's made us to prosper. Um, 
God to note that uh, this word for blessed was not used of any other God. It was not used of Zeus. Uh, he may bring good luck to some people and other times, but as far as uh, the God Zeus blessing uh, the people who worship him uh, is never mentioned in, in classical Greek literature. So this is another way yeah, that we are, our Christianity is separate. The God that we serve is living and loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. Um, so, so that likes, makes us unique and, and different. And so he has blessed us. Um, uh, it could be material blessings, physically, health, providing for needs, but I th think primarily it's, it's in the spiritual, uh, on the spiritual level there. Um, it's, he's blessed us, giving us everything we need to live the Christian life, uh, everything we need to, to grow and change and to become more like Christ. Um, He's promised us rewards and things for all our service for him in the future. He's got a, a wonderful place he's preparing for us. And so there's blessings, yeah, that we can he see and experience here on earth, but there's a whole lot more that he has for us uh, in eternity and, and blessings that way. So, um, Phrase uh, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, some could say, some translated or see that as blessings of the Spirit. So here we have all three parts of the Trinity uh, involved God the Father, who has the plan, the Lord Jesus, who has filled, per, um, performed everything in God's plan to give us access to God and all these blessings. And we'll touch more on that here in a little bit. And then the Spirit here, who is the channel between us and God, uh, to where it makes it possible to, to receive uh, these blessings. And God can funnel his grace on us, can funnel his riches to us, funnel his blessings on us. So the Holy Spirit is that conduit between us and God there. So that's the first way that we're in Christ. We're all blessed. And as we get into this Thanksgiving coming up here in a few weeks, not just think of the material blessings here, but also the spiritual blessing. What has God done in our hearts? How has he changed our lives? What has he done for us? How has he, uh, what does he have waiting for us in the future? So just things on the spiritual level, too, that we need to thank and, and praise God for. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, so in him meaning Christ, even as chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So this, the second way that we are in Christ is that we are chosen. So just to be chosen is just God's sovereign work, uh, his decision, uh, he chose some people to believe, to trust Christ to be their Savior. It happened at some point. And eternity past, um, and it's based just on his goodwill, his good pleasure, just because he wanted to, uh, he chose us. Uh, in verse 5, it kind of talks about that, uh, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So, um, there's nothing 
really special about us, something that he's looking for in us that would make him want to choose us. So usually in elementary school, when you're picking teams or something, depending on what uh, the activity is, um, you want people that, if you're playing kickball or whatever, you want people that can catch and throw or are coordinated, can run fast, things like that. If it's something mathematical, then you want the people who are sharpest on their math facts and things along that way from the classroom and things. So, uh, so when we pick things, we pick things that people have the skills and abilities that hopefully will help us accomplish the goal, their purpose, their task win the game, whatever it happens to be uh, in that. But when God chose us, we, we, we got nothing. We had nothing to offer him. Um, so it's just, I mean, what a tremendous blessing. All, of, all the billions of people, other people God could have chosen, uh, those that he would choose me, choose you uh, to be, um, part of his family to be saved is uh, um, just cause us to praise God, to thank Him, uh, gratitude to well up in us. But um, but we are chosen. He chose us. He picked us, and uh, and just that the God of the universe, how great and magnificent He is, that He would pick me out of the billions of other people that He could have picked. Uh, it's just uh, uh, humbling, uh, totally humbling, that that he would do that. And um, some people ask, "How do I know if I'm chosen? How do you know?" Well, God doesn't tell us that. Uh, the way you find out is whether or not you trust Christ to be your savior, whether you believe. Uh, So that's, that's how we know that, that we are chosen. When you look at, you know, the witnessing that, that Christ did, the gospel that he was preaching, he, um, it was all, he put it on man. It's, it's your choice, your decision to uh, accept or, or reject the gospel. Jesus preached repentance to everybody he came in contact with. The message was the same no matter who he was talking to. Uh, in Acts, we see the Philippian jailer there after all the events surrounding that with the earthquake and uh, prisoners being released from their chains and things that they were in. And, and after hearing Paul and Silas singing hymns and praising God throughout their time that they were in jail, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they just told him, hey, you you got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You need to... Yeah, I'm sure he understood that he was a sinner and Christ died on the cross for his sin. Um, that he rose again and by completely placing, placing his faith and trust in that and believing in that, that he would be saved. So, so we only know after the fact uh, whether we're chosen or not. We, that was not something that uh, Jesus really emphasized or so, so if that question gets asked, how do you know if you're chosen? Well, that's not the right question to be asking. That's only for God to know. The question is, have you accepted Christ to be your Savior? That's the question. If, if you happen to run into anybody 
who asked that question. That's just one way we can kind of steer the conversation back around. So, um, but uh, let's see, also in verse 4 here, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So there's a purpose why he chose us. He didn't just pick us just to pick us, but chose us to be holy. Uh, it just means to be set apart to reflect God's purity. Um, so we often say that um, in churches, you can come as you are, come as you are. Yeah, that's, that's totally you. You come to church as you are the, in the spiritual position, uh, that you happen to be in at a time where you don't have to clean yourself up first and be able to make this change or drop this habit or whatever the situation may be before you come in. But So we accept people on that way, but uh, God with us, he doesn't expect us to stay that way. And if you're coming to Christ, he's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to make... Uh, changes in your heart and in your life. So he he's wants us to be like Christ, to be home, holy, to be set apart, less and less like the world, and more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what the purpose is in, in choosing us and being blameless before him. Uh, again, has the idea like the Old Testament sacrifices, um, there are specific qualities that these lambs had to have before they could be sacrificed. They had to be just a year old. They couldn't be sick. They couldn't be skinned up at all. They had to be unblemished. So uh, in Christ, we are unblemished. Uh, in Christ, uh, we are holy. His holiness, God sees us with Christ's holiness even though practically in our, in our own life we're not where we need to be, we're not holy, we um, do not always reflect God's purity. But when God looks at us positionally in Christ, we are holy. So that is our position. And, uh, and one day in the future when Christ takes us home, then we will be practically holy and purely holy in every sense of, of the word. To, um, so again, what's our response to the fact that we are chosen? Uh, yeah, and just worship, thank you, Lord. Um, gratitude for what He's done, and then that should be also be a motivation for us to serve Him. Because um, getting saved—that's that's just the beginning. Yeah, you're not going to lake of fire anymore. Yes, you are, are going to heaven, but that, that's just the beginning. Um, the gospel is not about just, just that, just being saved from an eternity in hell, having an eternity in heaven. The gospel is for every day, and I think that's what Paul is laying the foundation for, uh, especially in these first three chapters in the book of Ephesians. Um, He's just telling us all these ways and preparing us and building us up, uh, telling us who we are in Christ. Because what he's going to ask us to do in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6, those are hard things. Those are things that do not come natural to us. Uh, there's a real battle going on. And uh, so he's starting with who we are in Christ just to help prepare us and uh, 
equip us for the battles and things that are going to happen to us uh, later on. We'll touch more about that too. So, so we are chosen in Christ. So we are blessed in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. Um, verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So adoption is, is the next kind of way that we are, are blessed, uh, or not blessed, the way that we are in Christ. So being adopted was pretty common back in these times as well. Uh, I had the same way that we would think of adoption uh, back then. An adopted child had all the rights and privileges of the biological children. They had the same claims to the family inheritance, and however that was laid out, uh, they were legitimate, real sons of parents. They weren't some kind of other category, um, so they were uh, every part of the family as, as the biological uh, they had all the same statuses, all the same privileges as the biological uh, children did. So, um, so we are. We, I mean, we don't call it faith family uh, for nothing because we're uh, everybody who's believed God. We're all adopted. And so some of you are adopted. Some of you are biological. But in a sense, all believers we're we're all adopted. We're all adopted into the same family. There, and, uh, and so, what are our privileges then? Uh, we have God as our Father. That's a tremendous privilege and blessing. Uh, Galatians four four through seven talks about that. We talk about uh, all being a church family. So even though our biological families could be a mess and things, we can come to the church family and, and get help, get encouragement, have fellowship, get strengthened, um, share our needs with, uh, share life with. All those privileges as being part of a church family. So that's why coming to church on a regular basis, um, being together, God did not design us to live independent, live individual lives. He's designed us to live in community and understanding, too, that who we are in Christ is just going to bring uh, yeah, a different perspective and uh, on our church. It's going to be a unifying factor in our church. And so, so being part of a church family is a uh, tremendous privilege. And following the idea of being adopted, um, we have communication with God, being adopted in His family. Uh, we can go boldly before the throne of grace. Um, he, just a little later in chapter 3, verse 12, he references that in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So we have boldness to go to the Father, access to the Father. Uh, through by our identity in Christ, uh, being adopted uh, in Christ into his family there. So, um, so there's a, a subtle uh, difference there, um, being adopted into this family. Well, we don't become part of God's family. We need regeneration. We need the new birth, birth to be in God's family. Then right after that, um, 
adoption too also takes place, you know, at salvation too or police. So that gives us all the rights and privileges as a, as an adult. So just kind of a subtle thing, like um, like when you're first born and stuff. You, to be given an inheritance, you know, you know, what's a baby know what to do with that, you know, so you usually had to wait a certain age to where you were uh, old enough to be able to have that inheritance. You had to be, uh, I guess I'm not sure what, what that age, but, but when we come into the family of God, um, yes, we're part of this family by the regeneration, by our new birth, but the adoption gives us all the rights and privileges as an adult. So there's just kind of a, a subtle nuance there. That, so we don't have to wait till we get to a certain age or a certain level of maturity to have all the rights and privileges of being in Christ, all the blessings that he has for us. So, so we can have it, and we, we get it right away. There. So just a, just a subtle distinction between being regenerated and, and being adopted. So... The fourth one being accepted. Uh, verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which we has blessed us in the beloved. Having a little translation issue here. I guess I usually study out of the... New King James, but uh, yeah, the ESV doesn't specifically say accepted, um, but which he has blessed us so, um, in the beloved. So he's accepted us in the beloved. So beloved there is capitalized. Uh, so that's obviously referring to Christ there. Um, so we are in Christ in that way, which... Uh, so he has accepted us. So he's given us, or this word, uh, ESV says, blessed us. So given us favorable, favorable regard as one who is in the beloved. So again, we look at ways of acceptance in, in the world. Some you know, acceptance be based on your looks. How you know attractive are you? Good looking are you? Um, that kind of attracts or brings acceptance in the world. Um, works, how talented you are, your abilities to, to create things, to build things, to make things, to perform different things. Um, that can bring acceptance. Um, just the kind of personality you have. If you have a real charismatic personality, that just kind of draws and attracts people and makes you the type of person people want to be around. You're fun, energetic, um, uh, have a great sense of humor or whatever. Um, just personalities uh, that just are drawn, brings attraction and different things. Uh, being able to have a, a great talent to sing, play an instrument tremendously, or if you're a tremendous athlete or something, that attracts acceptance, and, um, and then whatever family you're from, or how much money you have, as mentioned earlier, different ways of acceptance in the world, and, and for every one of those ways that we, that the world has acceptance, God has something else else to say about that so none of those things uh, are make what make us 
attractive to God or acceptable to God. He just accepted us uh, just because he loves us and, and we accepted his son. Then we have all these ways of acceptance. Um, you know, the world looks at looks. First Daniel 16, 7 says, I, I don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So that's what God's response is to looks. God's response is to works. You know, we look at Isaiah 64, 6. All your works of righteousness are as filthy rags. So any type of works that are done not to God's glory, um, done uh, just for their own benefit, for their own praise of others. I think all the works that we can do, um, God's not impressed with how, how good. He gave us the ability and talent to do that uh, to begin with, but that's not Im- God's not impressed with that. Um, and then, of course, he Drops the bomb on him uh, in Ephesians two eight and nine. You know, you know, you can't do any amount of good works to to earn my grace, uh, to earn your way into heaven. So, not of works lest any man should boast. So all of our boast uh, is in Christ. Christ has done all the work for us. We can't add anything to it. I kind of use the illustration as like the Mona Lisa. If you don't like Mona Lisa, smile and you take a paintbrush to the Mona Lisa and try and to adjust that so that doesn't add value to uh, the painting. That would completely devalue the painting. So uh, likewise, if we're trying to earn our, our way into heaven, uh, come to God on our own terms and not through his son, the Lord Jesus, we, we ruin the whole thing. Uh, Christ has done all the work for us. We can't add anything to it. Um, so all he asked us to do was just accept it and believe it. And so, uh, personality, you know, we got Beatitudes. These are what the things that are most important. The Beatitudes in verse 5, and blessed are those qualities. You got the fruits of the Spirit and Galatians 5, so, so God's response to personality is uh, to live in the fruits of the Spirit and not doing the works of the flesh. That's, those are the most important things. Again, performance, talent. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, towards the end, I am what I am by the grace of God, Paul says. So everything that we have is, is from God. God gave us the ability uh, to do that. There's nothing we can pride ourselves in so, so much to speak and that. Uh, family this was a big deal to, to Jews thinking just because they were part of Abraham's family they had had it all um, but we can look what Jesus says about that in John 1 just John 1, verse 13. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So just to be accepted, doesn't matter what nationality you are, what family you came from, um, any of that. Um, but... Uh, 
The main point is, uh, are you in Christ? Uh, are you part of the family of God? That was where our true family is. So if we aren't, God doesn't accept us on the basis of our, of our family tree there. Um, yeah, a lot of the Jewish people at this time put a whole lot of stock in that they were part of the family. You know, having Father Abraham, which is in a physical sense they did, but in the spiritual sense they weren't even close. They weren't anywhere near that. So. Um, the other answer to wealth in the world, First Chronicles twenty nine eleven, God says, "I own everything." So whatever wealth you have really, really isn't yours. It's God's. God owns everything. He created it. It's it's all His. We're just stewards of it. So. So being accepted uh, in Christ, being blessed uh, in the beloved. So we're all, all, we're all equal. We're on equal footing uh, before Christ. Um, it doesn't matter what your, your background is, what your family, how much money you have, your status, your talent, your ability, your looks, all those things um, are not what brings us, uh, makes us part of being in Christ. We're all accepted in Christ uh, equally. We all have equal access. We all have the same opportunity. We have the same um, Holy Spirit. We have access to all the, the power of God, His blessings, His resources. Uh, it applies to everybody. And, um, and these are not temporary. Um, we can't exhaust them, so they will always be available to us, and they are eternal. All right, number five, we are redeemed. Verse seven, in him. So back there, there's that phrase, in Christ, in him, showing up over and over again. We have redemption through his blood. So, uh, so redemption, uh, or to be redeemed, means a releasing on payment of a ransom. Also, uh, be defined as a deliverance effected through the death of Christ from the retributive wrath of a holy God and the merited penalty of sin. So it has the idea of uh, a slave market. <laughs> I know slavery is like a very bad word in our terms of culture and stuff today, but uh, but it was pretty common back in Bible times. Uh, they didn't have the like the we say the government welfare safety nets or different things like that in place that that we do in our our culture. They couldn't declare bankruptcy and just have their debts and stuff just wiped out. Um, so the only option was is to give themselves up as a slave so they would go to this slave market or whatever and offer themselves up for a certain price and somebody who needed help or work would come in and buy them and uh, and then bring them back to their house their property or whatever and put them to work so People who couldn't pay their debts, that, that was like their only option. They would 
offer them up as a slave, hoping they would get uh, bought by somebody and then be able to somehow work off whatever debt they had in that situation. Um, another time it might happen is somebody stole something. And under Jewish law, you couldn't just repay what you had stolen. You had to pay sometimes like up to four times that amount of what you've taken. So if you stole something and you couldn't pay it back, uh, then you were forced to be a slave and beyond. Um, there are some other differences between slavery back in this time and the slavery we often think of. Uh, there was a, a seven-year time limit on, on having a slave. Um, all slaves were released on the year of Jubilee. So that was an, another, I'm sure that would affect the price and the amount of debt that they owed. And I'm not sure how that, all that factored out, but it was factored in somehow. And a slave could marry uh, a biological son or daughter of somebody in the, in the family, the slave owner's family. So sometimes sons of slaves would marry the sons of the slave owners and... Um, and the slave owner also had the opportunity to make a slave an heir of their estate and part of their family. And then after their time up, the slave could volunteer to stay uh, within this family, working for whatever family. And I think the way they would designate that is they would, I think they would take their ear on a door frame or something and stick a nail through it, or pierce the ear somehow, and, and that was just... Uh, a way of designating that this was, uh, a, I think they called them bond servants or bond slaves then, um, not just the, the normal status slaves. So. And another difference was if the slave got injured and, uh, somehow on the job, then they were free, free to go if they were injured in that way. So, But as we... Again, we partake of the elements here just kind of reminds us that we were all slaves too. But we weren't in you know, a, a physical slave market. We're in the slave market of sin. We are chained with our sin. We cannot release it on our own, break free from it on our own. Um, we're stuck. Uh, and so only... The idea of being reeved. So only through Jesus Christ, through his shed on blood on the cross and his resurrection. So that was the price that was paid for our, our freedom, our redemption. And then when we accept that, uh, then we are, are freed uh, from the penalty of sin, uh, the power of sin, and one day uh, the presence of sin. So... Um, so what a tremendous yeah, blessing that is. We're all in the slave market of sin. There's nothing, as I said, that we could do to break ourselves free from that. We needed somebody from the outside to come in and to buy us and release us from that. So that's, so in Christ we are free. Um, we often think of being free as the freedom now. Oh, I can do whatever I want to, whatever I feel like, whatever I please, but that's not the freedom uh, Scripture talks about that God wants. Our freedom now is now we are free to live free from the, the bondage of sin, the, the bad habits of sin that so often plague us. God breaks those bonds and gives us freedom from our sin, from the consequences, from the effects. 
um, the freedom to live for Christ. Now we can serve him uh, freely. We can glorify him. We can please him. We can serve him in a way uh, that pleases him, that he is honored and glorified through. So, so being redeemed, so Christ has bought us out of the slave market of sin, has released us from the chains and bondage of sin, and has given us the freedom now to live a life that pleases him, to honor him, to glorify him. So what a, what a tremendous, and so that, that's why we have these elements, the Lord's Supper here, we, we look at on a regular basis to remind us of that, what Christ has done for us, and that we are redeemed and, and free in him. And also in verse 7, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So just to define forgiveness, it's just simply the lifting off or lifting of the charge of guilt from another. Just, yeah, being forgiven by God is another tremendous blessing in Christ. Um, he illustrates in Matthew 18 how, how big a deal that is, how much we have been forgiven. If you remember that parable of the unjust steward or whatever, he had a servant who owed the master just an incredible amount of money. It was like 10,000 talents, so... Uh, we would say that a bazillion dollars maybe in, in today's language. So there's, there's no way that in his lifetime he could work enough uh, to pay off that debt. And, and then the master had pity on him and forgave him, wiped away all that debt. And so that's, that's a picture of us. We have sinned against God immeasurably. And I have no idea how much, how often we sin against God if just a few times a day added up each year you know all that amounts to a number that gets pretty high pretty quick there and you know, some people think that they can do enough work to compensate for all that um, that's that's a lot of work but but anyways the, the way God forgives us is uh, we owed him a debt that we could never pay. And he just, through the blood of Christ, he poured all that on his son, all of that punishment and stuff on his son. So God can be just in not just erasing it, but crediting that to the cross of Christ, the Lord Jesus, and then taking care of it that way. So God can still be just and forgive us uh, all of our sin because he's poured all of that uh, on Christ there. Um, and so uh, forgiveness is conditional. We have to ask for it. So when we come to faith in Christ, hopefully part of that is confessing our sin to God, you know, repenting of that sin, expressing desire. Oh, I want to get rid of, turn from my old life, my sinful life, turn to Christ and to live for him. So that's part of repentance there, saying no to self, the world, the things that are sin, and to Christ. Um, so forgiveness is conditional. We have to ask for it. God just doesn't throw it out there. Um, but 
And then how God has forgiven us. Well, he promises not to hold it against us. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, he's separated it from us. So it's, it's never going to come back uh, to punish us again. He's not going to hold it against us. He's not constantly dwelling on it. And are going around heaven and the angels saying, well, did you see what so-and-so done? And they did it again and again and again and not telling. So that just gives us the, the blueprint or whatever the, of how we need to forgive others. So being forgiven uh, by God, you know, David says in Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose sins are covered, whose uh, so just a tremendous relief uh, of forgiveness that that brings, uh, that David felt. Because David did, even though he's a man after God's own heart, did some serious things. And we'll be getting into some more of those as Pastor keeps working his way through Second Samuel. But, but it, can, it can be forgiven. God does, does forgive that. Um, there's nothing we can do that uh, would make God not not forgive. There's no unpardonable sin that we can commit. That say, God doesn't say, oh, that's enough. You blew it too many times. It's going to keep... Uh, every time we ask, he's faithful to forgive. Every time we ask, no matter how many times. And then he expects that of us, too. All right, That's how we need to forgive others. So he's going to go on in Ephesians 4, 32, a phrase we often, or a verse many people memorize, and being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ has forgiven us. So all these ways that we are in Christ is just preparing us, equipping us. Um, Paul's just kind of laying this foundation here because he's going to ask us to do things. God's going to ask us to do things uh, in the future that, that are not going to be easy for us. Uh, they don't come naturally to us. We're going to struggle with. But, um, I'm just trying to think of a way just to kind of tie this all together here. And I don't know if this is a, a perfect illustration of it. And, and these are just a few of the ways that we are in Christ. He goes on here. I'm not going to keep going any further, but there's other ways that we are in Christ as well. So I just... Just kind of had the idea of maybe mountain climbers or whatever. They have these ropes, you know, and then they have these clips or carabiners or whatever they're called. So you take uh, one way that we are in Christ is that we are blessed. So you take that offering, that way that we are in Christ, you take that cord, you connect it to your belt, you're in Christ. You attach it yeah, to your belt. Uh, you take the second one that we were chosen, take that line, attach it maybe to your back. You take the next line that we are adopted, maybe attach it to your shoulder, that you're accepted, maybe to your other shoulder. So the more lines you have, you know, the more stable you're going to be. Um, and there's more. So the more we're connected to Christ in Christ, we have all these things. We just don't always connect to it. So it's all available to us, but we need to lock that in and be focused on that, meditate on these things. Because in the future, when you're faced with trials, when you're faced with temptations, uh, things are going to come up that you didn't see coming, uh, no matter what those, those may be. 
if you're attached, if you're in Christ, if you're hanging on to all these different ways that you're in Christ, you're going to be you're not you're going to be shaken up, you're going to be hit, you may be knocked down, but you're going to be able to recover a lot quicker. You're not going to uh, suffer uh, taken aback by it maybe as badly as you would if if you weren't so. Paul is preparing these people, they're, all these different ways that they're in Christ. So in the future, uh, just laying that foundation. So when uh, um, he talks about being tossed about by uh, different waves and winds of doctrine. Um, so actually, that's the next one is in verse 8 is knowing the truth, being enlightened by God. So having his truth there to, to help stabilize us, ground us. So all these different things help stabilize us, ground us, keep us uh, connected to God, have his grace flowing back forth through us, his power, his strength, his might, um, his plans. So it just, just tremendously stabilizes us and prepares us uh, for the different events, uh, the things that we're going to have to face in this world. And so I hope that is helpful. I hope that makes some sense to you uh, this morning. I thank you for, for coming again, and, and let's pray. Father, we have so much uh, to be thankful for. You have done so much for us. You are such a great God. We thank you for your great love for us, your great grace that you keep pouring out and pouring out and pouring out upon us. And, and we thank you for that. We thank you that we can rest in you and, and receive that. Uh, we thank you for the stabilizing force that that brings in us. And um, We just thank you for the Lord Jesus, too, most of all, and what he's done for us on the cross and, and dying for our sin and paying that penalty. And, and rising again and, and setting us free and giving us hope, uh, a future, future home, breaking free the, the chains of sin that are in our lives. And, and we so, are so grateful for that. We just pray that there's somebody here who's not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ, or not quite in Christ, that they would do so this morning. And uh, we thank you for all you've done. You're so giving, and, and thank you for all your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is nothing better than being in Christ, and now we have a time where we can remember what Christ has done for us until he returns. We're called to take the Lord's Supper, and so uh, we're going to do that. If I could call some of the elders forward to help uh, pray and distribute out the bread and the cup. Kevin, would you say a prayer for the bread? Absolutely. Lord, as we heard so clearly this morning, that as we remember, as we proclaim, we remember that there is nothing that we did to deserve your forgiveness. That is through the blood alone, it's through the breaking of the body, which we remember here this morning. It is through the breaking of Christ's body who came and humbled himself and bore our cross and bore our sins that we uh, deserve that wrath. But praise God that we have forgiveness, that we have been redeemed, that we are cherished, loved, chosen, uh, and so we remember that this morning and remember it is through the broken body. Lord, I pray that 
all who celebrate and cherish that would enjoy your blessing material this morning as we consume that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen.